Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Sports Bar Navy Yard is hiring. Experienced servers and hosts should email brett at waltersdc.com. That's B-R-E-T-T at waltersdc.com for more information or stop by and fill out an application any day after 10 a.m. Come join one of the busiest restaurants around the ballpark for this summer or beyond. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the set. Corbin delivers. Swing and a line drive, hooking toward the left field corner. It's down for a hit. Extra bases against the bullpen fence. Two runs will score. Albies on his way to second and there without a play. The 0-1. Swing and a line drive. Base hit left field. Past the diving Franco and down the line. Headed home Heredia. Arcia with a wide turn. Thomas fields and fires it back in. A bullet base hit to left. 6-1 Atlanta. Three runs home in each of the last two innings. Next offering swung on. It deep down the left field line toward the corner. If it stays fair, it is gone, and it is a home run. Right down the left field line on a 1-1 pitch from D. Strange Gordon. And so the first hit he ever gives up in the major leagues is Ozzie Albee's first home run of 2022, his third hit of the night. The Braves tack on another run here in the bottom of the eighth inning of garbage time. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, April 13th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nats insider Mark Zuckerman, who is in Atlanta. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, so much for the Nats two-game winning streak. So much for that Nats blowout win at Atlanta on Monday night. And uh, so much for whatever encouragement you may have gotten from Patrick Corbin's outing in the Nats season opener. Uh, Nats on Tuesday night got smashed at the Braves, 16 for the final. Uh, Nats now are 2-4 and four on the season. Quite the swing from the 11-2 win at the Braves on Monday night. And if you did not stay up to watch all three hours, 37 minutes of this five-star classic on Tuesday night, you missed an installment of a position player pitching for the Nats. You know, we saw some of this, uh, I would argue too much of this last season, and here we are now, a mere six games into this season, and we've already seen the position player pitching D. Strange Gordon on Tuesday night, three runs in the bottom of the eighth, which featured Ozzie Albee smashing a one-out solo homer on a 58.5 mile per hour pitch 
from Strange Gordon. Mark, you saw it live and in living color. What was it like <laughs> watching D. Strange Gordon pitch on Tuesday night? Have you ever watched batting practice, Al? <laughs> I mean, really, he wasn't even putting a lot of effort into it. It was just stand up there, throw it, try to throw it over the plate and hope they hit it at somebody. That's really what it was. It was kind of tough to watch. I mean, there was a great comedic moment when he hit Travis Darno on a 52 mile hour pitch and Darno fell to the ground in a heap and played it all up like he was injured and then got up and started laughing. You know, it was a little moment of levity in the game, but that was... You know, sometimes the position player pitching is fun. Sometimes it's just painful and it's like, let's just get this thing over with. And that's exactly what it was. It was so bad that Ron Washington, the legendary Braves third base coach, waved around a runner to get the third out of the plate. He basically, he allowed the inning to end by just sending a runner for no good reason when you're up a bunch of runs because he knew that D wasn't going to get the out himself. This is going to score a couple or maybe throw to the plate. Tagged by Ruiz, and Darno is out. <laughs> he retires the side. He was not really running hard. Listen, I get why you do this. You want to save your good arms in the bullpen for the next day and beyond. But you got a 10-man bullpen, and five of them had not pitched in at least two days. You couldn't get one inning out of one of them and without ruining everything for the future. I, I kind of felt like this one was a little egregious and not necessary. Yeah, you know, we went through this last year with Jordy Mercer, right, where he pitched fairly early in the season in a blowout Nats loss. And, you know, the first time it was like, funny, funny, haha, you know, that's fine. And then he did it again, not long after that. And I remember having a much different reaction watching that of, okay, now it's not so funny. Like, this is kind of pathetic, you know, like it's it makes a mockery of the game. It obviously is an indictment of the team because, you know, you're in a position in which you put a position player in because you're tapping out on the game. And like you said, I mean, there are some position players who go out there and pitch halfway decent. This was a joke. I mean, D. Strange Gordon was out there and, you know, I don't know if he wasn't taking it seriously. I don't know if he was just doing the best that he could do. But I mean, he's throwing 58 miles per hour. And like you said, it was batting practice. And I'm just like, how is this good for anybody? You know what I mean? Like on a Tuesday night, three and a half plus hours, and we're watching D. Strange Gordon get bombed like that. Like, That's not good for the sport of baseball. No, I agree. And he had the ability to throw it harder. He threw one pitch 80 miles an hour out of nowhere where he actually put some effort into it. So I don't know if this was a case of him going up to Davey and saying, hey, you know, I'd really like to do this. I've never done it in my career. You know, sometimes there are guys, especially veterans, are like, hey, I'd I'd love to pitch. It would be a dream come true for me to pitch in a big league game. And some of them really get into it. Remember, Gerardo Parra was throwing like 90 miles an hour. He couldn't find the plate, but he did it. But this just kind of reeked of uh, who do we have who can just do this and get us through it. And more and more, I do kind of find myself being in favor of some kind of mercy rule in baseball, because like you said, nothing was accomplished there other than it's like they did this because they had to play another inning. I think either team would have been perfectly fine if they just called the game at that point. I don't know how you do that. It's I know it's against so many tenets of professional sports to call a game before it's over out of mercy for one team. But there was really nothing to be gained from them finishing out the game and playing that last inning the way they did it. Well, D. Strange Gordon got bombed on Tuesday night and Patrick Corbin got bombed on Tuesday night. And that really is the thing that sticks with you the most. We obviously have become accustomed to this over the last few years, and that's uh, in and of itself a problem. 
But, you know, off how he did in the Nats game one of this season, you felt like, all right, let's see. I mean, I think we're all wanting Patrick Corbin to do well and, you know, saying to ourselves, well, he can't be this bad. So maybe just maybe he finally does start to do well. We've mentioned him pitching well in four of his final five starts of last season. But what we saw on Tuesday night was way too reminiscent of what we saw for so much of last season. Corbin was terrible on Tuesday night. I don't know how else you're supposed to say this. Six runs in two and two-thirds innings. Uh, A non-competitive outing from, remember, the Nats' supposed number one starting pitcher right now, right? He was the opening game starter. Uh, He gave up nine hits, three doubles, and six singles. He issued three walks. He recorded three strikeouts. He threw an astounding 83 pitches over two and two-thirds innings. I mean, that's not supposed to happen, man. 83 pitches over two and two-thirds innings. Did toss a scoreless bottom of the first, but then three runs in the bottom of the second. Uh, The big blows being a one-out RBI double by Guillermo Heredia and a two-out two-run double by Ozzie Albies. And then Corbin, after that, issued a two-out six-pitch walk of Matt Olson. And then Corbin gave up three runs in the bottom of the third before getting pulled with two outs. And, you know, this third inning was tough to watch. I mean, leadoff double by Marcelo Zuna, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. We had a single by Travis Darno. We had a two-run single by Adam Duvall. We had a two-out ribby single by Orlando Arcia. Two-out single by Ozzie Albies. Then another two-out six-pitch walk of Matt Olson. And then Corbin got pulled. I mean, it was one hit after another. And, you know, we've been down this path many times. The fear I think we've had is that we're going to continue to go down this path this season. And I don't know if we will, but obviously this was not a good sign on Tuesday night. Yeah, this was 2021 all over again for him. You know, I mean, 11 of the last 16 batters he faced reached base. That's an astounding total. And it's just the same stuff. It's fastballs that get hit sliders that don't really come close enough to the strike zone to be swung at. When he does get ahead in the count, he then, like you said, ends up two and two or three and two. It's just a repeating pattern here. And I think what's most discouraging is you talk to him after the game and the quotes sound exactly the same as what we heard last year. I don't know. I felt felt pretty good. Um, Just, I don't know if there's one thing that I can think of. Just, uh, it's been frustrating, obviously. He doesn't have an answer for this. It's not like he can say, okay, I know what I'm doing wrong and here's how I'm going to fix it. He just kind of shrugs and he says, well, you know, I felt pretty good. And, you know, I guess my command was a little off, but I I thought I was making some decent pitches there and I'll have to go back and look at it. I I mean, it's really frustrating and infuriating to not hear anything from him that makes you think, okay, at least we see a path to where this is going to get better. Now, look, it's two starts. First one, really for the first three to four innings on opening day was was fine. And then he faded late and we were kind of saying, well, maybe this is a a case of him, you know, fading because of the short spring and everything like that. Well, that wasn't the case this time. I mean, he got hit from the get go and hit hard. Now, it's a Braves team that he has had zero success against. I look back at this, his last seven starts against Atlanta, and this goes back to September of 2019. So that's in a year that he was still good. In those seven starts, he's now 0-7 with a 7.25 ERA. I know the Braves are good, but you haven't had one decent start against them. You've literally lost all seven games against them, and a lot of them were kind of a similar pattern to this one. 
Yeah, and a problem is that the Braves are in the same division as the Nationals are in, and the two teams play each other 19 times every regular season. So if he's going to have problems with the Braves, that's kind of a problem for the Nats. You know, when you look at Corbin's decline these last few years, I mean, a few things definitely stand out. The strikeout rate plummeting has been a big thing. But the other thing is the extent to which he gives up hits. You know, walks really haven't been that big of a problem for Corbin. He he, he issues some, but really the bigger issue is he gives up a lot of hits. In that 2020 pandemic condensed season, no one in the majors gave up more hits than Patrick Corbin did. He gave up 85 hits in just 65 and two-thirds innings that season. Uh, He gave up a lot of hits last season, for which he had the highest ERA in the majors among qualified pitchers. And then on Tuesday night, we saw something similar. I mean, again, he did have the two walks of Matt Olson, but nine hits in two and two-thirds innings, that's not normal. I mean, that suggests that your stuff isn't good. Like, put aside location, your velocity, your movement, it's not good. And I think that's particularly concerning, especially as we've discussed, health doesn't seem to be the problem here. So like his ability to pitch a baseball, it feels like, has fundamentally declined in recent years. He's not fooling anybody, you know, and that's a problem. You're right. The fastball, unless he really locates it well, is very hittable. And as we've talked about the slider, his out pitch is only effective if it looks like it's going to be a fastball and they swing over it as it then darts down and in on the right-handed batter. And he's not throwing enough of them close enough to the strike zone to get them to commit to it. And when it doesn't look enough like a fastball, which is a pitch that already is hittable to begin with, I mean, that's it. That's all he's got. And so we talked about this last year, like, does he have another path? Does he have an adjustment? Can he learn a different way to go about this to have success? And so far, the answer is no, he has not shown that. I think they wanted to believe that he could stick with this formula because it had worked for him in the past and that didn't need to necessarily reinvent himself as a pitcher, as other guys as they get older sometimes do. Although in a lot of those cases, because of injuries or because the velocity goes down, that's not it here. This is just the same stuff over and over again. And at some point, you got to say, this isn't working. (laughs) You know, again, it's two starts, so you don't want to read too much into it. But we've seen this. It's not different than what we saw last year. And unless it turns here fairly soon, it is going to leave you wondering, what is the solution? Do they just keep throwing them out there every five days? Eventually, if if things pan out the way that they think that's going to pan out this year, they're going to have five better starters than Patrick Corbin. And that's when a, a tough decision is coming up. And we're not there yet, not by a long shot. But it's not hard to envision a scenario where at some point this year, that is a question we're asking. Yeah. And you know what? He did well as a reliever in the 2019 postseason. And maybe that's where you got to put him ultimately this season. I mean, to me, as a fan, as an observer, we can't have another season of this where Patrick Corbin gets thrown out there every five days and gets wrecked every five days. Okay. Like there needs to be some progress shown. And maybe there will be. Hopefully, there will be. Again. We're wanting him to do better, but he did not do well on Tuesday night. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get your degree in savings during Window Nation's spring break sale. Get two free windows for every two windows that you buy for as many as you need and make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. That's two years. Just call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. 
Gas.com. As you likely know, natural gas prices continue to rise. Does your energy bill say that you're using more energy than similar homes? This is because you need new windows. Increase the value of your home with curb appeal and save money on your energy bills by replacing your old inefficient windows with new energy efficient window nation windows. Buy two windows, get two windows free, pay nothing for two years. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. Save thousands of dollars. These are savings that you'll only see once this year. Take advantage of Window Nation's special offer. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. Dot com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The 2-2. Albies chops the ground ball to first. Bell has it. He'll step on the bag at first. Throw to second. They've got the runner in a rundown. They have to watch the runner breaking toward the plate. Heredi is trying to score. Fox throws home, and now they have him hung up. Ruiz chasing him to third. Throws to Franco. Both comes into cover. Now the throw back to Ruiz, chasing him toward third. Gives it to Cesar Hernandez, chasing him toward home. Feeds Franco, chasing him to third. And he's going to get obstruction. Now the throw to second. And time is called. There's going to be obstruction on the Nationals. Heredia ran into Ruiz in the baseline. He's going to score. How do you like that? The Nationals botch the rundown and give the Braves a run. 
So we mentioned D. Strange Gordon pitching. Truth be told, one of the reasons he had to pitch was because Austin Voth and Paolo Espino, to a lesser extent, didn't do so well in relief of uh, Patrick Corbin on Tuesday night. Voth especially had problems. Four runs, three earned in one and a third innings. I have to ask about the play uh, that took place <laughs> during Voth's appearance. And when I say the play, if you watch the game, you surely know of what I speak. I feel like we're going to be calling this the play for the rest of our lives, right? We're going to know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> you know, in college football, we have the Cal Stanford play. That's called the yeah. play. In baseball now, we have the play, which is this bizarro whacked out play in the four-run fourth of the Braves in this 16-4 nondescript uh, Nats loss in April 2022. But the final run for the Braves in this inning came on a ground out by Ozzie Albies on about as strange of a play as you'll ever see. It was a play on which we had an interference error by catcher K. Bert Ruiz. We had two separate lengthy rundowns, and I emphasize that word lengthy, rundowns on which the Nats didn't get any outs. The only out on the play was Josh Bell stepping on first base of catching the ground ball. This was amateur hour in so many ways. The Nats defense has been good so far this season. It was not good in that moment. Do you want the full rundown of everybody who touched the ball? Because I went back and watched it and I wrote it all down. You ready for this? All right, with the numbers. So it starts out as three unassisted, as you said. And then it goes three, six, two, five, two, four, five, nine. That's nine at the end. You know who nine is on the Washington Nationals, Al? That's Juan Soto. Why is Juan Soto the last man with the ball in a rundown in the infield? Because somehow he ran at second base. And Michael Franco, after the collision with Caber Ruiz and all the nonsense going on at third base, decides to throw it to second. And then Juan now runs Arcia back all the way to third base. He tags him. And then just for good measure, he tags Heredia also. And as he said, just in case, you never know. <laughs> What might happen at the end of all that? Well, the end of all that is that none of those numbers I just gave you actually show up in the box score anywhere because there was no out recorded. It's obstruction on Ruiz and uh, the runner is safe and the other runner goes to third. Now, I asked Davey afterwards, like, if you could start that play over again, where'd the breakdown begin? Like, what would you have wanted done differently to prevent everything else from happening that did? And he put the blame on Franco. Well, Franco has to come get the ball. I mean, Franco stood at the base. As Ruiz has the ball kind of running towards third. Franco is just standing at third waiting to receive it, and he wants Franco to move in closer. It condenses the amount of space that the runner has to go, and now Ruiz can throw the ball to Franco. Franco can tag the runner, and that's it. There were way too many throws. As you know, any good baseball fundamentalist will tell you the fewer throws, the better in a rundown, and in this one, there were way too many throws. Yeah, I mean, there really should be two throws in a rundown, maximum three, when uh, you're reaching double digits, as uh, it felt like the Nats did. That's a problem. But, you know, it's interesting to me with the Nats defensively. So defense in really all sports, right, it's not just about skill. It's also about communication. And the Nats have been good defensively so far this season. But the bad defensive moments for the Nats, to me, have been a function of bad communication. And maybe that is a result of having 
uh, a good bit of new players, especially in that infield. You know, I go back to another negative defensive moment for the Nats recently, that 5 nothing loss to the Mets this past Saturday night. We had that double by Brandon Nimmo off Andres Machado, and I almost should put double in quotation marks because you had that miscommunication between Michael Franco and Cesar Hernandez in the shift on the right side of the infield. We were like, just let Hernandez take the ball. Franco, for whatever reason, did not. Uh, I actually think there's an argument to be made that Hernandez, if he didn't, should have called off Franco and said, like, get out of the way. That's my ball. So I I guess maybe we're going to see some of this early in the season as these guys get used to playing with each other. Who should do what? I don't think that excuses what we saw on Tuesday night. But, you know, I don't think we're looking at just like a bunch of bad defenders. I think it's just maybe some guys getting used to playing with each other. Yeah, but here's the weird part of that. Those two guys, Franco and Hernandez, played together in Philly for several years. So they're not strangers to each other. Now, they may be strangers to Alcides Escobar and Josh Bell and the others on this team, but they should know each other. And that is surprising to me that that's been a little bit of a problem. Now, we know that Michael Franco has never really been considered a great defensive player. And last year, the, the metrics were awful for him in Baltimore. Cesar Hernandez is a gold glove winning second baseman. Escobar has been you know, pretty solid and knows what he's doing. But you also have two essentially rookie catchers when Ruiz and then Adams are playing. And even though they are not involved in every single thing, and even though Ruiz, you know, by Davies' estimation, wasn't to blame necessarily for this one, he gets charged with the air for the obstruction. And, you know, the catcher kind of runs everything on the field. And so when you have a young guy without the experience, it might be a little harder for him to take charge of everyone. You hope that gets better. But like you said, the bigger picture through six games, the defense has been outstanding. That's been one of the really best bright spots for the team so far. They have had a couple of notable uh, meltdowns, including, you know, Victor Robles let a ball get past him in this game. Not saying that would have changed the outcome at all, but it certainly prolonged things early on when, when it was starting to go downhill for Corbin. Ozuna will trot in the ball. Misplay gets by Robles. He's going to roll to the wall. They're going to run for a while. That was bad, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, ticks off Davey because Robles can make those spectacular catches, but something like just keeping a hit in front of him, he doesn't do that. The ball goes all the way to the wall and what ended up being a blow-up inning for Patrick Corbin. Well, how about a bright spot for the Nats on Tuesday night? Uh, There weren't many bright spots, but here was one. Juan Soto and Josh Bell back-to-back solo homers with two outs in the top of the sixth. Swinging a long drive right field, forget about it. That one is not coming back. It is long gone. About 15 rows into the seats in right center field, directly over the 375 mark. So Juan Soto takes out some frustration on that baseball. The homer for Juan Soto, a milestone homer, also a mammoth homer. Uh, Soto, a bomb to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 11-2. The homer going a projected 451 feet for StatCast. And the homer was home run number 100 for Juan Soto in his regular season major league career. The ball incredibly ends up in the hands of a Nationals fan, someone wearing a Juan Soto jersey. And it appears as if Juan Soto, or the Nats anyway, have uh, gained possession of that baseball. So that's pretty cool that it works out that way. A game in Atlanta, you hit career homer number 100, and the baseball ends up in possession of an Nats fan. Uh, but a good game for Soto on Tuesday night, two for three with the solo homer, a single, and a walk. And then Josh Bell followed uh, with a two-out solo shot of his own to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 11-3. Yeah, I actually got to witness the, uh, the meeting between Juan Soto and the young man wearing the Soto jersey outside the clubhouse. It sounds like 
the ball was initially caught by or picked up by a Braves fan. And then he gave it to the kid in the Nationals jersey as a nice token of appreciation. So let's hear it for Braves fans. I didn't know they had that in them. But it was a nice moment down there as he came down. Juan came out with a signed bat, introduced himself. They exchanged him, took some photos together. And Juan said it's the first time he's ever done anything like that. He hasn't had the opportunity to do that before. You know, it's his first kind of major milestone like that. And he really appreciated it. He got a kick out of it. And, you know, what should have been a really low moment for the team, obviously, losing a game like that. Juan was in pretty good spirits afterwards, talking about that, talking about reaching the 100 homer mark so early in his career, understanding what that means. It reminds you, and I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this a lot this year, that one of the best qualities he has is that he just does not give any at-bats away. They're down so much late in this game. There is no reason for him. It would be perfectly acceptable for him to just kind of go through the motions. And he doesn't. He puts everything into every at-bat. He drew a walk in his final at-bat in the eighth inning when it was really out of hand. He really does not give in. And it's such an admirable quality. And it's something that he's probably going to have to really put to the test this year if the season plays out the way we think it might for the team. But more power to him. He is able to do that. And I think that's among the many qualities that make him such a special player. Soto hit his 100th career regular season home run at 23 years, 169 days old. He is the fourth youngest player to hit 100 career regular season homers among players to debut in the divisional era. That's since 1969. The only players younger than Soto, A-Rod, Andrew Jones, and Miguel Cabrera. And how about this? I came across this the other day. This really is something regarding Juan Soto. Do you know that Juan Soto entering this season still was the sixth youngest player on a National League opening day active roster? Wow. This is year five for Juan Soto in the majors, right? 2018 was his first major league season. Sixth youngest player on a National League opening day active active roster. That is nuts that that's true. That's really crazy. And I remember with Bryce Harper, who was kind of in a similar boat, it was several years in his career before he finally faced a pitcher who was younger than him. It was like his fourth season in the big leagues. And so it's kind of a similar deal with Juan. But you know what you were saying about him doing it with the fourth youngest in the divisional era, let's remember he only got 60 games in 2020. Actually, it was only like 47 that he played because of the false positive COVID test. And then he missed a few other games because of injury. If he plays that whole season, obviously his age doesn't change. He's still 23 years old now, and he's probably got, you know, who knows, maybe 120 homers at this point. So it is pretty remarkable. Every time he does something, the names we're comparing him to, to do it at that age or the only other players to do this or that, it really is boiling down to the best of the very best And it's warranted. I mean, he deserves to be in the same sentence as all these all-time greats that uh, have done similar things as him. Yeah. I mean, he, to me, is the best hitter in the sport. I don't think you can say he's the best player in the sport. I think there are better overall players, all-around players, but he's the best hitter in the sport. And the consistency with which he does well really is outstanding. A few things with the Nats lineup on Tuesday night. This was interesting. So uh, no Nelson Cruz on Tuesday night. He got the night off. Yadiel Hernandez was the Nats starting designated hitter. We're seeing a lot of Yadiel in this early portion of the season. He did have another hit on Tuesday night, top of the sixth. 
He had a two-out double, so that stood out. The other thing is Lucius Fox, not Alcides Escobar, was the Nats starting shortstop. Escobar is off to a really bad start offensively. He was the only Nat who really didn't do anything offensively in the big win uh, Monday night. Now, Fox on Tuesday night, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, did make a nice backhanded catch of a grounder on the uh, shallow left field grass, and then a good two-hop throw to Josh Bell at first in the bottom of the fifth inning. Bell on that play, nice backhanded catch of the throw. This is on a ground out of Austin Riley, but uh, no Nelson Cruz. Yadiel gets a start at DH. Fox at shortstop not Escobar. We did see Victor Robles back out there as a starting center fielder, but what'd you make of some of the uh, the latest in terms of as the lineup turns for the Nats with Davey Martinez? Well, so Cruz was in the initial lineup and was scratched, and it turns out he had a groin tightness, and he was out there for BP, and you know I wasn't watching him that closely to see if anything happened, but it sounds like he already knew something wasn't great, and he went out there to try to test it and felt like it wasn't enough to take the chance. So he was scratched, and that's why Yadiel wound up as a DH, although he was going to be the starting left fielder. So I do think it's interesting that you've seen him have enough good quality at bats, make some good contact, and we saw what he did last year when he got a chance to play. It's not just set in stone that Lane Thomas is in left every day and Victor Robles is in center. You've got reasons to put Yadiel Hernandez in there. You've got reasons to put D. Strange Gordon in there. Uh, Lucius Fox, like we just said. So some of this is Davey just trying to make sure everybody gets their at-bats and stays fresh. Nobody goes cold on the bench. But it's also an acknowledgement that not everything is set in stone. And he wants to see how this plays out. And, you know, maybe a month from now, we're saying, you know what? Yadiel Hernandez actually gives them a better chance on a daily basis than somebody else. And so he's actually in there. I think he's open to these things. And Escobar, the surprising thing there, he's, I think, one for 13. He's got seven strikeouts. This is the guy who's all about contact. Last year was so good at putting the bat on the ball. And Davey talked before the game about, you know, how he's chasing, how they're trying to work with him on being a little more upright and some other things with his stance uh, to try to encourage better contact. But that's something you want to nip in the bud here pretty quick, because if the guy's best skill is making contact, but he leads the team in strikeouts, that's a problem. And then Victor Robles, look, he's still over on the season at the plate. Now, he hit a moonshot down the left field line that just hooked foul. He almost hit his first home run. But he finally got his first RBI of the season on Monday, and he did it by getting hit by pitch with the bases loaded. I mean, that's literally the only offensive contribution he's made so far. That's a problem. It's early. They're not giving up on him. But there's only so much that defense can do for you. You've got to be able to hit at least a little bit. And so far, he is not. And that's a little bit troubling. Yeah, and when you're known for your defense and you let a ball get by you and go all the way to the wall, (laughs) then the question becomes, well, what exactly are we doing here? What would you say you do here? You know, perception's a funny thing. The Nats have this brutal start to the season, especially when you look at the first seven games, four games at home against the Mets, three games on the road against the Braves. One more game in this series at Atlanta, Wednesday afternoon at 12:20. Nats go into this game 2 and 4. I feel like and you know, I don't want to like overstate the importance of this game, but you win this game 3 and 4 through these first 7 games actually sounds pretty good given the expectations. You lose the game 2 and 5, you're like, "All right, that's really not that good." Kind of is what most people were expecting. The pitching matchup is an intriguing one. Josiah Gray versus Max Freed as uh, Josiah is apparently getting all of the maxes 
in the National League East to begin this season. First Max Scherzer, here Max Freed. But, you know, off Josiah not looking so great in uh, that game two for the Nats this season. Kind of a sneaky, I don't want to say big spot for Josiah Gray, but I think this is a good matchup on Wednesday afternoon. Certainly an exciting one and a game that you really would like to see the Nats win. Yeah, I, I agree with you on all that. I mean, Josiah, probably his best start last season was against the Braves. He struck out 10 in that game. That's when he had this, this tremendous curveball going. So uh, let's see how he does against a very good lineup. I would like to see that as well. Let's see how the Nats handle Max Fried, a tough lefty. But the good news, by using D-Strange Gordon in the ninth inning, he saved all his A bullpen relievers. They should all be available. So if Josiah can give him five, you should have four quality relievers to put out there in a close game. Let's hope he actually then uses them and it makes it worthwhile what we had to watch the debacle in uh, the bottom of the eighth here tonight. I agree, though. In a weird way, it is kind of a big game. If they could come down to Atlanta, take two out of three from the defending champs, go three and four to start the season. Now you go to Pittsburgh where you you know really, really have a chance of winning a four game series there and you could create some good vibes. It doesn't in the big picture. It doesn't really mean anything. It's not like if they start three and four, they're a contender. But if they start two and five, they're not. It's nothing like that. But it helps you avoid just digging yourself into such a big hole that it almost feels hopeless from the get-go. And that was my fear, especially when they start 0-3 against the Mets. So not that 2-5 and is the end of the world, but 3-4 and does sound a lot better, especially given the schedule. And here's what's really at stake on Wednesday. The Nats, you know, won the first game in a blowout. Braves win the second game in a blowout. So the aggregate score for all your soccer fans out there is Braves 18, Nats 15. So if they can beat them by three or more runs, they win on aggregates. And I think that advances them to the uh, round of 16 or whatever it is. Yeah, I was going to say the Nats uh, win the Major League Soccer Cup if they uh, beat them on aggregate on Wednesday afternoon. So I'm excited uh, for that. But yeah, you know, the fear with this Nats season was that the team could get buried in April. And that is not good for anybody. And that's also the kind of thing when you look at what's going on with the Nats right now, right? Like if the team is up for sale, you already had low expectations going into the season. And the team starts off like, you know, two and 10, you know, people check out. It's not good. At least if you can even like seduce people into thinking the team might be halfway decent, that's good. That's good for the Nats. That's good for all of us as fans and observers. And, you know, you want to be able to at least not feel like your season is over in April, right? Everyone's realistic about this season, but few things are worse than when you're a baseball fan. The season is just beginning, and the season, for all intents and purposes, ends for you. You know, there's a saying in baseball, you can't win a pennant in April, you can lose one in April. And there was a potential for the Nats to do that, but uh, hopefully they won't, and maybe they won't. But Tuesday night, obviously, uh, was not a good night. Will you tell us what you think? You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the podcast, email Tim Shovers. Again, that address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Our new NatsChat Podcast t-shirt is out. You can get your red Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. That's NatsChatPodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Next pitch is hit in the air to deep right field for Bell. This one's got a chance. It's way back there, and it's gone. Back to back. That one not quite as far, but it counts the same. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.